0: Martech Stacked, Episode Twelve with Neil Schaefer. <laughs> Brought to you by Content Cow. Plan, collaborate on, approve, and publish your content in one simple and intuitive calendar interface. This is Martech Stacked, the weekly show that delves into the what, which, why, and how of marketing technology. I'm your host, David Bain. And each episode, I'll be chatting with a top marketer or a top technologist about what Martech they use, which are their top tools, why they use the tools that they do, and how they integrate everything together as part of their overarching content marketing strategy and Martech stack. I'm joined today by a man who's authored four books on social media, including his latest one on influencer marketing, The Age of Influence. He's also a consultant, a speaker and a university educator. Welcome to Martex Act, Neil Schaefer. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, thanks, Neil. Great to have you on. Um, you can find Neil over at neilshafer.com. So, Neil, explain what your business does and how you use marketing technology to make it better.
1: Well, I am in the business of helping businesses with their digital and social media marketing. As you can imagine, as an agency and consultancy, uh, the use of tools is critical to our own branding, to helping clients, and uh, in many ways to teaching clients as well. Uh, Part of what we do is we, we, you know, we help clients learn how to do this themselves. And, you know, people, tools, process, and that tools part becomes so critical. In fact, I believe that uh, tools are so critical for success in social media marketing, I actually had my own conference related to all the different, you know, MarTech, vis-a-vis social media marketing, it was called the Social Tools Summit, it was back in, in 2015 and 2016, and sort of the early days but uh, but yeah, I've always been um, a big fan of tools I've always looked for tools to help my, make my life easier, and I know if they can do that, they can help make the lives of a lot of marketers easier.
0: Yes, yeah, so it's incredible, it's, it's funny talking about 2015 and saying back in 2015, <laughs> um, but uh, in terms of tools, digital tools. Things have evolved so much over the years. You're talking about going from a few hundred tools to thousands and thousands of tools. So uh, can you maybe give us a flavor of um, what category of tools
1: um, are the, the kind of tools that you've got your eye on at the moment? Well, uh, obviously, social media dashboards are always evolving. So it, it's it's an area where we're always looking for new features, new functionality. You have, you know, newer networks like Instagram and now TikTok, and will the tools be supporting those as well as automation features and analytics? Uh, how can you know you let us know better how we're doing, and uh, more importantly, how we can report back to our clients on on how well we're doing? So that's always going to be an area. Um, I'd say other places where there's innovation is more of sort of uh, content discovery, um, trying to find content. These are ideas for your own content, understand how your competition's doing. Uh, and then we've seen some evolution in what we'd call outreach tools, um, tools for helping you find You know other people to reach out there whether they be bloggers or podcasters i guess you could consider that part of influencer marketing reaching out to influencers uh in that in those spaces and then in influencer marketing itself we've seen that just a a plethora of tools emerge and technology emerge to help you find who might be a relevant influencer for your campaign. So I'd say those are the areas right now where I'm most, most focused on.
0: Great, okay. And um, it's certainly difficult for the average marketer or for anyone uh, for that matter to actually keep on top of um, the new tools, the latest tools, the best tools for them to use in their organization. That's one of the reasons why we wanted to start this podcast was just to see what tools other people were were using and hopefully get a few recommendations. So let's delve into some, hopefully specific recommendations from, from, from yourself. So, so starting off with number three, what are your top three tools in your current Martech stack and why?
1: Well, I'd say if we're going to go in reverse order, uh, the number three tool I'm going to have to put in there is a tool called Respona. Now, I mentioned this whole idea about influencer marketing and reaching out to bloggers and podcasters. And I think more and more businesses realize, especially in the B2B space, the influence that podcasts and blogs have. Uh, it's interesting because when I published my my recent book, I worked with one of the world's largest business book publishers, and they recommended as part of my media outreach that I reach out to podcasters and bloggers. So uh, That's how influential they've become. Uh, Respona is a tool that will basically spider the internet um, looking for bloggers, uh, looking for podcasters. Now they recently have started Hero or help a reporter out. Um, access or I should say integration as well and now they've actually released sort of a uh, a influential content search engine as well so the concept is that you could upload a list from an SEO tool of uh, domains that you want to reach out to or you want to be featured on Uh, it will scour the internet looking for the email addresses of web uh, sites or podcasters from their RSS feeds and it will conveniently display them in a dashboard where you can then you know, create a, a pitch, uh, which is gonna be an email, but uh, versus other systems, it really allows you to personalize it for each and every one of the companies you wanna reach out to or people you wanna reach out to. It also gives you the ability to get credits, to be able to access email addresses without you having to look for them. Um, And it gives you the ability to send follow-ups and what have you. So I've used Respona for a a a few different campaigns. It's been really, really successful. I think people don't think it's coming from an automated tool. And if you've been on the other end, you've probably been the the recipient of these things that look very artificial, uh, which we all cringe at. Um, Hmm. But this tool is, uh, you know, these tools have been around for several years. Respona has a very, very interesting story to it because it was actually created by a content marketing company, uh, or I should say a, a visual tool company called VisMe, who specialize in providing tools for marketers to be able to create things like infographics and and graphics and, and, and PowerPoint presentations, what have you. They were very successful doing blogger outreach for their infographics, to the point where they developed a tool around that process. And that tool is called Respona, which now has spun out from the company. So I think that's a great story. I think that often, um technologists create these martech companies but they're not always run by marketers or they ne- they don't necessarily have a lot of input of marketers and therefore the technology may be great but the use case scenario or the process may not be aligned right. And therefore, they may be difficult for marketers to use. Um, this is an example of a tool where everything is aligned because the people who developed it used it themselves. It's a great mm-hmm. example. I don't think any tool can replace a process. You first have a process and you find a tool that can help automate and make that process more efficient. I think Respond is a great example of it. And it's still relatively new. I think they're, they're probably still in beta. I think they came out in Q4 of 2019. So they're really new, fresh technology, but they're, they're innovating, um, revising it, adding new functionality very, very frequently. So I'm very excited about that tool.
0: Okay, I'm glad you said that they're new and fresh because I don't believe I've heard of them before, but they they look like a wonderful platform. Uh, Reading out the the meta description, Respona is the all-in-one digital PR influencer marketing and link building software that combines personalization with productivity. Um, So that's just respona.com. It does look like um, a very interesting tool to try out there. It was funny that you mentioned Hero, help our reporter out. I remember using that service when I started a podcast in 2014, and that, that was a great service for reaching out and and getting the few, uh, first few guests um, on a podcast. Um, So Respona, why did you select that particular tool or platform as opposed to another one out there? Are there very close competitors out there too, Respona?
1: There are competitors out there. And uh, in all honesty, this is an example of a company that pitched me uh, because I'm sort of out there in, 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 you know, digital and social media, sure. uh, they pitched to me, me being an influencer to try out their tool. And I, you know, maybe some of you listening also get pitched by various companies. Um, but this was a tool that, uh, I thought you know, they, they they wanted to listen to my inputs. They um, they wanted to make sure that I used it properly. They really went out of their way. It didn't feel like they were selling me on something. Um, they went out of their way to uh, to help me, you know, best use it and to listen to my input and to try to, you know, accelerate roadmaps based around the needs that I had. And I think this is so important for any tool company that's listening, uh, the ability to do that. So I also like the fact that they were newer, they had a different approach. Um, you know, the other tools in the market are are older and, and, you know, I won't say they have a spammy approach, but it's all about you can reach so many people in such little time. Whereas Respond is more about creating relationships and personalizing messages and really using this sort of technology in a responsible way so that was the other thing that sort of sold me obviously the functionality really uh spoke for itself as i began to use it and, and just the you know you, you want to find a tool that's very intuitive the first time you use it it's like when you first got that first iphone or ipod back in the day you didn't need an instruction mm. manual you yeah. just turned it on and figured it out right and that's really the sign of a great tool
0: exactly and it certainly seems as if it has lots of functionality in there as well. If you have a look at the pricing page, they, they compare themselves to BuzzSumo, RocketReach, Mailshake, and Upwork. Um, so if you're taking away um, all the functionality from those different services, then that, that could be a very, very useful tool in someone's arsenal. So that's tool number three for you. Um, so let's move on to tool number two.
1: What is that one? So tool number two is a tool that you just mentioned, and I'm sure it's been mentioned or will be mentioned on this podcast, but it is a tool called BuzzSumo. And BuzzSumo is a really critical tool for a few different reasons. Obviously, um, you know when you look at digital marketing, social media marketing, it's, you know, you need to be visible on search, on social, on email. And everything you do, you need to have content. You need to have your own branded content and you need to understand what is already out there. You, you often need to be curating content as, as I will do. So in order to, whether it's curating content or whether it's creating your own content, BuzzZoom was just an incredible search engine of content. Um, and what it does is it gives you the ability to find content based on publication date. You can uh, you know, filter it by country by TLD, what have you, but the ability to just tap into what has been published in a certain timeframe, and more importantly than that, what has social proof? And the social proof is they calculate or they they get the data of the number of Facebook shares and you know uh, uh, tweets, LinkedIn shares, what have you. Obviously, the data that they can get from social networks varies uh, from, from time to time based on the API access of those social networks, but they've done a really great job of building this database of content that allows you to tap in, Find well-performing content, not just for your content creation. I use Buzzsumo um, you know, for my primary content creation tool, but also for ideas as to what content you should be creating and, and for my clients as well. You know, Knowing what's out there, knowing what performs well, we can go even further uh, and tap into you know, uh, Respona mentions that they sort of compete with Buzzsumo. They compete with them in the way that Buzzsumo also helps you find influencers. So who are the influential people that are creating content, that are sharing content? What content are they sharing? So if you want to get on people's radars, there's a lot of data inside Buzzsumo as well. So just for that content piece, there's a lot of different ways to analyze the content that you should be creating. I think a great SEO tool is another way if, if i could choose number four it, it would be one of the, it would be the seo tool that i use for that reason mm. um but i think that the buzz sumo approach which is a very social first approach which is what is that content that performs well in social, especially for, you know, the industry that I'm in? And a lot of my clients, you know, yes, they, they, they want to publish content for SEO purposes, but they also want to get really creative and they want to find content that's going to be well received in social media as well. Uh, BuzzSumo becomes a really, really important uh, technology.
0: So you talked a lot about finding content in Buzzsumo, and it's great to hear that um, you're still using it as a very important platform to to do that. Um, But I'd like to get a feel for what you do strategically with that content that you find. Um, Do you, for instance, um, ever still curate that content and um, offer it as um, a, a resource just the, based upon the content that you find, um, for your readers, for your listeners, for your viewers, or do you actually um, use it as a a means to detect what content perhaps doesn't exist in a particular space and um, use it as an opportunity to actually write some original content yourself?
1: Yeah, so there's it, it's twofold the way that uh, we use BuzzSumo. One is on the content curation piece. So... Uh, We will provide every social network is different, but Twitter is usually the social network where you need to be tweeting a little bit more frequently in order to be seen, which often requires the use of content curation unless you have a lot of your own content. Now, uh, my website has 450 pieces of content on neilshafer.com, 450 blog posts, been blogging since 2008. Yet, if you're just talking about yourself, then... um, you know, people are gonna tune you out. It's when you offer up uh, different ideas uh, from different sources that number one, you' be you' be able to be seen as more representative. Uh, more objective about the technology, about the content you provide, and therefore it actually builds more trust with your audience. And number two, depending on how you publish that content, if you tag the creator of that content, it gives you the ability to develop relationships with other content creators and influencers. So we use Buzzsumo as a way to find that curated content, specifically for our Twitter feed, where we tend to publish the most curated content. We also use that for newsletters. So uh, we have a weekly newsletter, we have a monthly newsletter, and it's specifically for the weekly newsletter, we will bring in um, newsworthy content as defined by how buzzworthy it was uh, on social media as defined by how we found that content in Buzzsumo. So those are two very, very specific use case scenarios where you can simply plug Buzzsumo into your process. It's gonna save you time and I believe provide you a better result, and therefore that email marketing or uh, you know your Twitter or wherever you want to curate content is going to be more successful. For the creation, yes, there's there's two different ways of looking at that. Number one, originality. You want to publish something on a subject. What have other people published about? And I think you know we we would tend to look at an SEO tool. We would do our keyword research. We'd go to Google to look at Google search intent. But the other side is looking at what is currently being published in social. What has performed well in social? What what hasn't performed well? Um, and yes, definitely, you know, is there a creative angle that we can bring that others haven't brought, um, or do we feel that we can do better than what is the most successful article on that in social or, Hey, no one shared anything about that on social. Maybe this is an opportunity for us and we find that in a lot of niche industries. So it's just another, uh, you know, I'd say that the content curation right now for, for my company. Bus has more value, but that content creation also is just another, another touch point that I think provides a lot of value. And in
0: terms of where you'll link out to from your own social media, will you quite happily link out to third-party sites, third-party resources, and, and just directly refer traffic to them? Or will you generally attempt to curate a list of resources as a blog post on your own website uh, and then use social media to link to your blog post and then hopefully get people to stick around in your website for a little bit as well as actually checking out the resources?
1: Yeah, we do not do sort of content curation roundup blog posts. I, I okay. know that many companies do them. I've, I've seen them be done. Um, do you think, think they're broad, happening too much at the moment? Well, I just don't know how much value they provide. And I would rather get someone on my list than... Uh, I mean, they come to your website, but really the, the ideal is to get them on your list. So I think that the problem is that once you've been blogging for 10 years, 12 years, you now have, if you've been doing a weekly roundup, you now have hundreds of these blog posts that are not evergreen in nature. They immediately have no value. Mm -hmm. So now you have a lot of dead weight on your blog. And I'm not an SEO expert by any means, but I go through a regular process of pruning out content that doesn't perform well anymore for whatever. I don't want that dead weight. I want Google to be able to see that any piece of content from the site is, is evergreen, is deliverable, and is actually ranking and is getting traffic. And um, by pruning,
0: so, do you 301 redirect the old article to do something more useful for, for someone at the moment?
1: Absolutely, and yeah. I really found this out being that you know my blog was about social media marketing, I had posts about Google+, I had posts about stumbled upon, Mm -hmm. Um, these things are not being searched for anymore. And although they do still have backlinks attached to them, hopefully the 301 redirect is going to carry some of that over it's, it's irrelevant content. And I realized this, that, you know, and this is a whole different subject that I've recorded a separate podcast on myself, but I realized that as I was doing this content audit and we, we sometimes hear in the SEO world, this importance of content audits, that, um, it was when I was actually moving my website to a new one to neilshafer.com about a year and a half ago. I just noticed that there were a lot of links that were broken, and these were links to Yahoo.com or Entrepreneur.com, and these huge media sites were were pruning. They realized that for whatever reason, this content wasn't relevant anymore, wasn't getting but, but, traffic, do,
0: but doing a bad job redirecting.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that, <laughs> that's another story. But but yes, well, yeah, they have a lot to do, a lot of redirects to create, I guess. But yes, yeah, mm-hmm. so I realized after that, then, you know, that because I had so much dead weight, maybe this is something that was holding my website down from getting better rankings, that Google saw this as being a site of lots of old content that just wasn't relevant. And I think I always wanted to have relevant content. So even posts that talk about recommendations for 2020, I'm very cautious about publishing those because they're going to have a shelf life of 12 months. Unless you have a process to go in and revise them year in, year out, which is something I've started doing recently. Um, So, yeah, so there there is a a pruning process and I'm a big believer in it. Uh, You know, there there are certain things that instead of pruning, we'll do a process of revising because they're strategic to the site. But in nature, that weekly roundup post is not going to survive right? It, it, yeah. And it, it offers, It. I mean, yes, as a curator, there is some value there. And I know that there are curation sites like Scoop It, where they'll have case studies of companies building micro hubs of curated content uh, and the value that's generated. So it's going to be different for everybody. But I think what works best for, I really want to keep those that blog content. If someone's subscribing to the RSS feed, every, every post is evergreen, has unique value to it. I just don't think the roundup posts Um, unless they're incorporated into a blog post around a certain subject, then they might have value. Uh, But because the subject matter that my blog covers is so broad, I don't think that would be possible. So that's why why I took my approach. But I think this brings up a good point, which is every company, you can't just read blog posts and listen to experts and do something. It has to be right for your company's own unique situation. Mm -hmm. And this is one solution that I've found this may work for your company, this may not work, but th- this is what works for my company. I just think that everybody needs to be an open thinker, open, open-minded open uh, thinking, uh, and really, you know, analyze does which of these approaches best make sense for our company.
0: I love taking really relevant, interesting sidetracks, and, and that was certainly one of them. And if you're a social media mar- marketer listening to this. Um, you can't just be thinking about sharing your content on social media. It has to be about user experience, where you're sending people and what people do on your website and how that impacts um, how popular your website is going to be in the future. And there are many top SEOs that I've talked to that have said something similar to, to, to what you advised there, Neil, and that um, once a year, uh, prune your website. Um, look at what perhaps isn't so interesting anymore, isn't so relevant anymore. And then look for an article that um, is much more up-to-date but appropriate and perhaps the most authoritative article on your website on that particular topic and then redirect your articles to that. And there have been quite a few different case studies that have shown um, the, the the sum of the total is actually greater than the sum of the parts, uh, i.e. if you redirect five different um, articles to one core article and each article got a hundred visits per month, then you may get a thousand visits per month in total because of the increased authority of the end page. So it, it's certainly something to, 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 to really be aware of. Yeah, and I tr- think
1: also, you know, I, I wanted to just add that you know, in Google's eyes, what is this website about? and if every other blog post has the title weekly roundup google is going to think that weekly roundup is the most strategic keyword for your website so it's also you're always sculpting what your website looks like in google's eyes you have to proactively sculpt that and that's also part of the pruning process is when google scans what keywords they see pop up most often so if you're talking about old technology like google plus that doesn't exist anymore then obviously they they're going to think your website's out of out of you know tune with with what's going on right now if you if you did a lot of TikTok and it's really interesting because i've seen for instance influencer marketing uh there is a website called influencer marketing hub and they came out of nowhere and they own top search results for almost everything influencer marketing related because that's all they talk about so in google's eyes of course they're going to get better and better ratings over time or rankings um because that's that's their expertise right we have this Expertise, uh, you know, authority, trustworthiness, this EAT algorithm Mm. when we talk about SEO. So I think that's another important thing to consider is if your company is an expert at something, that should be the center point of your content. You should own every keyword variation. Um, and when you start you know, blogging or creating content not related to that topic, that's when you might run into a little bit of trouble from, from you know, an authority perspective. On the other hand, if you're like an influencer marketing hub, you can now take that influencer marketing you know, authority you have in Google's eyes, and now start to talk about Amazon influencer marketing and, and sort of dab out into different areas. So this is something I've learned over time, but just something else to consider when we talk about pruning and sort of sculpting your content in the eyes of Google
0: definitely and as a content marketer the first thing that you need to be doing is deciding on whether or not your search covers all the core topics that you need to cover from your industry specific perspective before going off there and, and producing your your weekly blog posts or whatever actually content you you get fired up about personally it, it's about defining whether or not the content really represents what you do as a business and whether or not you're really covering everything to do with that on your website before you get sidetracked and, and start talking about topics that aren't quite so closely related in the eyes of google and search engines uh, so yeah. we had respona at uh, tool number three
1: uh, we had Buzz at tool number two uh, what is your tool number one yeah one more thing on tool number two content okay. creation what and i'm really sorry to drag the point because we got caught up in the seo there another critical thing about curating other people's content is at the end of the day, you get the analytics as to how that content performs. You can see what, if you don't have that content and you're sort of curious as to whether you should be creating content around that subject, by curating that, using BuzzSumo to curate that content and publish it on social media and see how your community responds to it, is a great way of analyzing what is your community interested in and what type of content you should be creating more of to get more engagement from them. And that's something I think a lot of people forget about. That It's counterintuitive to share other people's content, but it's critical for that reason.
0: Great, and I'm going to zip my lip now and not ask you any more questions <laughs> about that. Just ask you about tool number one. Yeah,
1: <laughs> no, we did good there. So tool number one, you know, we talked about, or I talked about in, in, in this digital first era of today, you need to meet your customer where they are and it's either search social or email. So I think we've talked, you know, we talked a little about all those, but I really want to focus on the email piece because I think that email marketing, if you look at a lot of different digital marketing surveys, email marketing still delivers very, very high ROI. And when we talk about social or when we talk about search, we want to get people to our website and we want to convert them. But in order to convert them, we need to get them into our funnel, right? And this is sort of the, this email marketing, which, regardless of text and WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger, I think we all agree that it's still very, very powerful. Uh, I have worked with boy on the email marketing/slash marketing automation side. I've worked with Constant Contact, Mailchimp, went to Infusionsoft, went back to Mailchimp, uh, went to Active Campaign, and in addition, to Active Campaign I actually use a second uh, tool um, that is called MailerLite. Uh, but I really want to talk about ActiveCampaign uh, because I feel that there are a lot of different tools out there. But um, Active campaign is just very, very rich funct- functional functionality to enable you to really optimize and to automate uh, and to personalize to an extremely high degree. Uh, your email marketing and we can go beyond email marketing because there are components like web forms that you can add uh, with uh, active campaign. You can obviously display custom site messages to people on your list when they come up uh, to your website if they're cookied into active campaign. and the automations are, they have this sort of unlimited, uh, you're, you're not limited to like a few automations, you know, at a time like some other software does. So it just gives you this unlimited um, potential for really really leveraging marketing automation technology in a very very savvy way and it's something that i know there's a lot of other technology out there but it's something that if you haven't looked into uh, i have found that really active campaign you know all the check boxes that i think of when i'm looking for marketing automation now obviously at the enterprise level there are other tools so maybe it's more appropriate for although and enterprises do use them but definitely you know at, at the mid-market or SMB uh, market active campaign and even for startups that i work with this Clients, um, they subscribe to Active Campaign as well.
0: Yeah, I've heard some great things about Active Campaign. The thing, one of the things that I love about Active Campaign is how many native integrations they've got. Um, it's so easy just to get that flowing nicely with your own tools. I interviewed Gavin Bell for episode number five of Martech Stacked, and he actually moved from ConvertKit. To Active Campaign, but then back to Convert again, because um, for him, he felt that um, Active Campaign was just a little bit too complicated uh, for what he was looking for. Do you think Active Campaign is possibly better for e commerce or um, maybe high volume B2C type sites, or do, do, do you really think that any type of business can take advantage of what Active Campaign offers?
1: Thank you for reminding me that I was also a ConvertKit user right before moving to <laughs> ActiveCampaign. Interesting. Uh, because I thought at the price that I was paying for ConvertKit, maybe there was something similar that had richer functionality, which is what ActiveCampaign did have. Now, it was a little bit more complex, but what the struggle that I have with ConvertKit, that I have with a lot of these uh, you know, lesser, uh, powerful email marketing automation tools, is that they limit the ability for me to understand the person on the list. We know that we need to be delivering more personalized communication and really our list should become a CRM, right? I want to know who is actively engaging on my list. I want to be able to give them a social score. I want to be able at certain point if they hit a social score to be able to offer them a coupon, which I do with with my e-commerce clients. So this isn't a necessity to be an e-commerce client, but if you want the ability to understand your uh, your you know the, the people that have s- subscribed to you, if you want the ability to understand them better, be able to be able to uh, navigate and search and find uh, people based on various ways they've engaged with your content or your website. If you architect everything right, Active Campaign gives you the ability to do that. It it really blows ConvertKit out of the water uh, in, in that aspect. So, um, I mean, we can go into more details about that. Now, ActiveCampaign, they are, I believe, really into customer success. They do have, uh, they're rolling out these um, workshops. Uh, I actually joined one of their workshops when it was in Los Angeles right before the coronavirus pandemic. They're now doing these virtually. They did offer, you know, free migration. They also offer this sort of free, uh email at any time if i had any questions i could reach out and i would get an answer sort of a little bit separate than their customer support so i've found that as a company they're pretty invested in in the customer success and i've found other companies where it takes a little bit of time to you're sort of you subscribe and then you don't know what's next i do for the active campaign did a really good job of recognizing that with that power with that functionality comes responsibility and and lending a helping hand but you know looking at the clients that have adopted uh, I had one move from uh, Robley to Active Campaign. I had another move from HubSpot to Active Campaign. I think they've been able to figure it out pretty easily. So I don't think it's overly complex by any means.
0: Okay, great. One more question that I'd like to ask you in relation to marketing automation just before, before we move on. And that is um, you talked about landing pages and calls to action. On your website, quite a bit. Um, is there a particular call to action that you're finding to be quite effective at the moment um, in terms of conversion rates?
1: I think that I go a little bit old school when it comes to call to action. So you have your splash screens, what have you. I tend to get a lot of a lot of traffic from search. No matter how well I do social media, and I have you know 220,000 Twitter followers, what have you. And Twitter drives the most traffic. And by, by the way, Pinterest is second after Twitter, well above LinkedIn and Facebook but Google just outperforms any of them, right? And it always has. So I consider the customer journey of coming from Google, consuming content, where do I go next? And I've found that's been the most successful in terms of having buttons that are placed strategically near the bottom of blog posts, but the content has to be relevant to that piece of content. So there are general calls to action you'll find throughout my site, but it's the specific ones where they're related to that content that are doing the best.
0: Okay, that's a good tip, because um, I think the easy thing for everyone to do is to put a pop-up or um, exit intent or something that really interrupts people from interacting with the content. And why would someone want to fill in a call to action if they haven't even had the opportunity to consume the content that they were searching for to begin with. Um, So to perhaps accept the fact that you're going to get slightly reduced conversion rates, but the people that are going to opt into your list actually have consumed your content and are doing so because they really want to hear from you more. So I I think that's a good piece of uh, common sense advice.
1: Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that obviously in terms of that call to action, um, you have that that full page that rolls down, uh, what they call that, the, the land mat landing mat. I do use yep. that on my homepage because I don't think I'm going to be duped uh, from a Google SEO perspective because it's only on my homepage. So people are mm-hmm. coming to me for that anyway. Uh, I'm very selective as to where I have that. I, that, that has performed okay. You know, I, I have a static bottom bar, which you know, to be honest with you still performs okay. Um, I'm, you know, as far as that, uh, uh, you know, the exit intent or what have you, I'm still very conservative about that. I just know from, I know marketers will say that it works, but as you pointed out, it's the relationship you have in that journey. And if people are coming because they want to consume the content anyway, I think just a more sophisticated approach at the end of the day is, is going to provide a better result, better conversion, less churn on the list as well.
0: So let's focus back into your business's use of marketing technology. So as your business grows, what's an example of a process that you currently do manually that you may wish to automate using marketing technology in the future?
1: Wow. Um, I'll be very specific here, but uh, I am a podcaster and I would love the technology to exist to create a podcast page for me. So this is an interesting one. I, I know that more and more businesses like Content Cow are, are getting into podcast and they're very smart to do that. And the problem with podcasting. So I talked about this SEO and, and pruning your content, and I found that these podcast show note blog posts always underperformed normal blog posts, which makes sense because the podcast is for my podcast audience. It's not for my blog audience. And a show note is not a blog post. So what I've learned over time is, I stopped doing show notes. A lot of them got pruned away because of the process that I have. But I wanted to create a single page where people could go to that whenever I had a podcast episode, they would be able to you know, look at that podcast episode regardless of if they were a subscriber on Apple or, or what have you. So I created a single page. I actually recently did this. Even though I'm at episode 170, it's something I never did. And I'm quite embarrassed to say that. But I think that the technology should exist to have a really robust, automatically generated podcast page my podcast page has my most recent 25 episodes and below it it has my top performing 25 episodes it includes a widget which has the player it includes the show notes for each of those posts and every week i am revising that page it is being manually updated by well not necessarily yours truly someone that works on my team Um, but i think it's important because i always want to be sharing these podcast episodes in social so that i can get maximum visibility uh, but I want to be able to have this sort of content updated dynamically. So it, it's very interesting because podcasting is flourishing, yet there's very little tech. There, there's technology that allows you to cut and paste, you know, players for episodes, what have you. But there's no technology that exists that does something like I recommend you do. Um, this is a solution that I've found. It's going to be different for everybody, but um, I'd love to be able to see more web content tools based around podcast, I think it's it's open for innovation right now.
0: Definitely. I, I think things are improving and I, I guess it also depends on what podcast host you use. What, what, what host do you use?
1: I use Buzzsprout and I was actually gonna recommend them. If we were to go to a number five tool, I would recommend them. Um, yes, there are, you could use a, a, and they offer a, you know, a website, uh, you know, buzzsprout.com slash what have you, but it's not on your site right? They're not cookied in. They yeah. can't be retargeted. So I think it's important. And you could use technology like Chartable to retarget people, even though they don't know they're being retargeted, which I'm not a fan of. So um, I want to bring them back to my site. I want them to see all the other content and, and be able to, you know, opt in, what have you. So that's the sort of, uh, you know, automatically, dynamically generating uh, website content tool. Well, we use that exists. You, you correct. You tell me if I'm wrong.
0: Look, um, I don't think there's any such thing as, as wrong. There's, there's there's things as personal experiences and what's appropriate for you and your business and y- your exact circumstances. And there's no, uh, I, th- I think it was as we mentioned about quite a few things earlier on, there's no perfect tool. Um, for everyone, and the tool, the the podcast host that we're using um, for our act is Captivate, and um, hmm. th- that was a company started by Mark Asquith. Um, uh, uh, Mark, Mark Mark Asquith was actually on the show in episodes three, I think, earlier okay. on, and uh, I really like the platform. I I've used Libsyn quite a bit in the past, and to me, Captivate's so much easier to use. They've got their own embeddable player. They've got a player that, that can take uh, episodes, r- recent episodes and play multiple episodes in the same player as well. And and they've got a WordPress plugin that I haven't used because we're not using uh, WordPress in the site that um, Martix Text uh, published on. So I, I can't comment about that. Uh, Pat Flynn's got a plugin that, uh, that, that, that used to be called Smart Passive podcast player, I think, but it's called something else now. I can't remember <laughs> remember what it's called now. Um, so there are a couple of options. Um, I, I, I'm not so familiar with Buzzsprout. Um, I, I'm always a little bit concerned when podcast hosts try and encourage you to direct traffic to their site instead of um, yeah. get, 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 getting traffic in your site there as well. So I think the key thing is, is within your rss feed for each episode to have the permalink pointing to a url on your own site and then to have the podcast homepage being on your own site as well and as long as if that happens and things are fairly automated then it seems like it's one of the better hosts
1: yeah so i've heard great things about captivate obviously um mark is, is well known and, and revered in, in the uk um i know he's come out i i saw him at a pod uh Right before the pandemic hit here, yeah. um, I also was a Libsyn user, and I thought that it was built on Windows ninety five user <laughs> interface, and I had to I had to hire someone to help give me training as to how I can update past episodes. It was that bad. So, mm. um, Buzzsprout is an up and coming platform, but it is very it has it offers rich stats regardless of price tier um it offers the ability to automatically get you into different podcast directories it's very proactive in, in helping you do that it is the one that pat flynn uses that he promotes so that's one of the reasons why i trusted them but i've just had the ability you know with, with captivate as well to have an easy to use user interface that gives you full control yeah has just been critical and and, and and you know they also offer a wordpress plugin um like captivate does and, and i've used pat flynn's as the used to be called the smart podcast player. Um, but those are only for single episodes. And since I don't have show notes for single episodes, my needs are a little bit different. Um, but, to, and, and Buzzsprout, it has an amazing Facebook group community. And they're one of the few tools where I've joined the community and I've really found value in joining it. Um, and it's it's nothing salesy, it's not Buzzsprout talking, to it. it's really about the users sharing their experiences. So that might be another thing, if you know, uh, when you're considering a tool in the future, do they have an active Facebook community? And are they openly sharing, you know, advice and tips? Because that can be a real game changer, I think.
0: Absolutely. And um, that that's a great key takeaway. And to be honest with you, we can continue this conversation for a long time. But uh, we'd probably better um, finish things up by saying, um, would you say there's, there's one key takeaway from either what we've discussed so far or something else that you'd like to to bring in that that you'd like to leave the listener with
1: yeah you know as marketers we love martech but the tools don't solve the problems I, i believe the process and your own critical thinking is what you need to do first develop the process then find tools that fit the process and often i think marketers get that wrong i think You know employee advocacy is something we didn't talk about you know leveraging employees as influencers but i think this is an example of a concept where the tool was developed before the process or or even or or even before the concept was mature so you had a lot of companies adopting the tools without really thinking through does it make sense would employees want to you know, OAuth, their profiles to automatically share whatever the company wants them to share. It just doesn't make sense when you think about it now. At the time, I I think people were so caught up in the technology and so excited about it um, that it was very different. So, uh, you know, as marketers, we need to always be thinking, you know, critically about what we're trying to achieve and those processes and really taking a look at them on a regular basis. Hopefully, you know, we talked about curating content. We talked about this, this pruning idea of content on your website. We talked about marketing automation. We talked about podcasting. We actually, we actually covered quite a bit of ground mm. here. So, you know, the takeaway really is to critically think about that process. How could it be automated? But not only that, what other functionality or what other steps is it missing? and and therefore what are the tools that exist so i don't believe as we talked about and you mentioned as well there's no one tool that does everything but i do use tools for very very niche purposes and i think that's totally okay so i think that's something that you should be doing as well if you find the tool with that niche there's you know instead of one tool your martech stack should have a dozen tools probably i i probably have more than a dozen i think that's that's where the future is going because it's just so hard to create that one comprehensive tool that's going to fit everyone's needs great
0: thoughts thank you so much for your time and your tips neil what's the best way for the listeners to find out more about you and
1: what you do well i'm neil Schaefer. uh everywhere on social media neilshafer.com that's the real neil n-e-a-l and there's a few of us Shafers lurking out there on social media. Uh, I'm a F E R. No, I don't have any blood relationships to any of the others. Uh, I also have a podcast called Maximize Your Social Influence and my recently published book, The Age of Influence is available wherever fine books are sold.
0: Superb stuff. Thanks again, Neil. Thank you so much. And thank you, dear listener, for joining us if you haven't done so already sign up for your free trial of content cal plan collaborate on approve and publish your content in one simple and intuitive calendar interface plus check out all the other martech stack show episodes over at contentcal.io also wherever you're watching or listening to this show let us know your opinion what are the three most important marketing technologies in your business let us know And we'll try and give you a shout out on a future show, or maybe even have you on as a future guest. Thanks again.